Good morning. My name is Julia. We will be reading from 1 John, chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognise the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognise the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Will you pray with me as we come to this part of God's word again? Uh, Father God, we do thank you for your word and we ask that you give us insight and understanding. We ask that you'd shape us according to your will. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our, um, our current cultural context, that's a bit of a tongue twister, isn't it, um, is what I, I uh, describe as a strange mix of intolerant tolerance. That is, we tolerate, well, we're, we're tolerant in supposingly upholding and affirming a, a wide diversity of opinion and belief and practice. Um, we want to be inclusive of anyone and everyone uh, for them to, to believe and to do whatever they want. But this inclusivity must not extend to, and in fact it must exclude, anyone who wants to hold to the belief that there is objective truth and so therefore some people are right and other people are wrong. To claim or even to suggest that, that that, that someone else is wrong, well that itself is wrong and evil according to the norms of our culture and must be met with the greatest of condemnation and be labelled as intolerant, hateful bigotry. When you see this in the realm of human sexuality and gender, if you simply hold to a biblical worldview with regard to sexuality and gender, you will be labelled by many as an intolerant, hateful bigot, a label that comes with an ironic degree of hate and bigotry. Now, given this aspect of our cultural context, there, there can be a tendency amongst us towards, well, lying low, being nice, and being reluctant to question something or someone or to say that, heaven forbid, that they are wrong. Our discomfort with conflict, and let's be honest, who likes conflict, that, together with our fear of being the odd one out, can keep us from from saying and acting on what is right. Our commitment to being nice, to being accepted, can trump our commitment to the truth. But would you rather be a nice liar or an uncomfortable, unpopular bearer of the truth? Now, God's word this morning calls on us to be discerning, 
That is to, to not just accept anything and everyone that comes our way, but in fact to, to test things. Now, if that makes you a little bit, uh, a little bit anxious because, you know, you don't like conflict, you don't like being an oddball, let alone saying that something or someone is wrong, I want to say try to put your anxiety to, it, to, to one side because actually this call from God's Word to be discerning, this is a call to the truth, this is a call to life, this is a call to freedom, to, to knowing God, the one who is greater than the empty ways of this world. So look with me, but before we get to the command, uh, we, we need to set it in its context. Um, the, uh, the previous verse, in 3 verse 24, says that, that, that uh, those who are God's people have been given His Spirit. It says, the one who keeps God's commands lives in Him and He in them, and this is how we know that He lives in us, we know it by the Spirit He gave us. Now, this is a profound truth. If we're God's people, if, we've, if we keep his commands, and the previous verse in verse 23 unpacks that, it says this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Belief in Jesus, love for one another, faith and love. That's what it is to keep God's command. Well, then God is with us. God is in us. He gives us his spirit. Now, that's a, that's a challenge to our, our Western materialistic worldview that, that asserts that this material world, is, this is all there, that is all there is. And this says, no, that there's a spiritual reality. And God, the Holy Spirit, is with his people. But this spiritual reality involves other spirits. And so, therefore, we need to be discerning. Which brings us to the command of the passage now, notice there, there's two parts to this command. Firstly, uh, 4 verse 1, it says, uh, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Just because something or someone is spiritual doesn't mean it should be believed. Uh, if someone comes claiming spiritual empowerment, claiming to even displaying supernatural power and miraculous healings and unexplainable knowledge... Uh, they may be work, uh, the work of a spirit, but they're not necessarily from God. And so we ought to, to not believe every spirit, but rather, second part of the command, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now, the obvious, obvious question here is, well, how? I mean, how do you test a spirit? Do you get your, your Ghostbusters equipment out and kind of scan the air to see if there's good spirits or bad spirits or... You know Ghostbusters, right? Yeah, that, that great movie from, um, well, it was actually nearly 40 years ago now, so that uh, shows my... Although it was rebooted in uh, uh, 2016, though fairly poorly, I, I understand. But um, how do you test a spirit? Well, we'll get to the how. Uh, but first notice John gives the reason for this command. Here's why he's saying you've got to test the spirits. It's second half of verse 1, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So the work of these spirits is seen in the, in the words and the actions of these false prophets. These people who've, who've gone out into the world, uh, John spoke about them back in chapter 2, uh, verse 19, as those who went out from the, the fellowship of God's people and, and they, were, they were trying to lead John's readers astray, we see in 2, verse 26. And, and so the call to test the spirits is a call to test these prophets, these teachers who are seeking to influence people. Just because they claim to 
to have spiritual power, they're prophets. We shouldn't gullibly assume they're worth listening to, says John. So then, how do you test a, a preacher, a teacher, a prophet? Do you measure I don't know, how passionate they are, how sincere they are? Do you measure their ability to communicate, to, to hold an audience? Maybe how perceptive they are of, of, uh, of culture. Maybe how many books they've written or sold or how big their church is. Is that how you test a preacher? Now, of course, we, you're probably sitting there thinking, no, John, I know that's not the way we do things. We don't test the preacher by those things. And yet, how often are they pretty much exactly the measures that we use to assess a preacher? Their passion, their sincerity, their ability to communicate, their cultural awareness, their success. Well, here's the test according to John. 1 John 4 verse 2 says, This is how you can recognise the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit um, that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So the evidence of the work of the Spirit of God in someone is, verse 2, that, that they acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now, much um, scholarly ink has been spilt over this verse. Um, it's often thought that, uh, that this tells us that the false teaching that was going around that John writes to correct was, well, it was about denying the incarnation, denying that Jesus, God become man, that Jesus was God become man, that he, he came in the flesh. And we know that in the, the second and third century, uh, there were docetic and Gnostic false teachers who, who saw this, this physical world as evil and so they, they, saw that, they thought that Jesus came from outside this evil world and, and was not part of it. I mean, otherwise he would have been tainted by it um, and, and so he was not fully human. Maybe he just had the appearance of humanity. And so it's thought that, well, John was aware of kind of an early form of this t false teaching and so he wrote to correct it. And so in this, in this way of thinking, anyone who questions the incarnation, who, who doesn't acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is not legit. Now, that's certainly true. We, we must embrace the, 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 the full divinity and humanity of Jesus. But I'm not convinced that that's what is, this verse is talking about. I think there's a better and, and more likely explanation. Now, it's not something I'd go to the stake over, um, but in uh, Matthew Jensen's PhD entitled Aff uh, um, Affirming the Resurrection of the Incarnate Christ, I've actually got a copy in my bag if, you, if, you, if you're fascinated to read his PhD, um, it's very good actually, uh, but he, he says, and, and I th he think he argues persuasively, this is not talking about Jesus' incarnation, was Jesus fully human or not, but talking about Jesus' identity, who he is, that, that he is the Christ, as evidenced by his resurrection coming in the flesh. And so this acknowledging or confessing by the, the spirit-enabled prophet is the confession that, of Jesus as Christ having come in the flesh. So his identity, the identity of Christ is, is the key test. And uh, the, the proof, the evidence of the fact that he's Christ is that is his resurrection he described as coming in the flesh. Now, I think this is persuasive, it fits with a number of things, it fits with the parallel test back in 2 verse 22 which says, who is the liar 
It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, It fits with back in the beginning of 1 verse 1 where John's talking about having seen and heard and looked at and hands have touched, which I think there's a good argument. This is talking about him seeing and hearing and and, and touching the resurrected Jesus. You remember, you know, put your hands in my in my wounds, in my side. It fits with John's account of the resurrection in his gospel where he describes Jesus appearing to his disciples as Jesus came. So that the coming of Jesus, the same word that's used here in 1 John 4, is a particular way that John speaks about Jesus' resurrection appearances. And it fits with other parts of scripture which talk about the resurrection of Jesus as, as evidence or proof that Jesus is the Christ. So uh, just one example, Romans 1.4 says, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed at the Son of God, that is the King, the Christ, in power by his resurrection from the dead. Now, I said I wouldn't go to the stake over this, and either way, whether these false prophets are denying Jesus' incarnation or whether they're denying his identity as the Christ, either way, they're getting Jesus wrong. And if I lost you when I said the word PhD, you come back, this is the key point, they're getting Jesus wrong. And that's evidence that the spirit is in them is not from God. The key sign, the key evidence of the work of the spirit of God is that someone can see Jesus for who he is, that he's the Christ, the resurrected incarnate Christ. Another part of the scriptures say this even more plainly. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, Therefore, I want you to know that no one who's speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So the most miraculous work of the Spirit of God is not to enable someone to speak in some strange tongue. It's not to miraculously heal someone from a physical ailment. The most miraculous work of the Spirit of God is enabling someone like you and me to say Jesus is Lord, to confess him as Lord and King. I mean, of course, anyone can say the words Jesus is Lord, but to say that from a heart that that truly believes, that trusts, I mean, that's that's nothing short of a work of the Spirit of God in someone's heart and mind. I mean, to to cut through layers of self-deceit, to cut through layers of self-centeredness and to open eyes that are blinded by the evil one and to say, yes, Jesus, he's the Christ, he's the Lord, he's my Christ, he's my Lord. That is, that is the most astounding work of the Spirit of God. We'll come back to the implications of this um, for us in a moment, but, but firstly, notice the result of this testing, this discernment, the result there, and, and this is helpfully confronting I think it's helpfully confronting but it's also ultimately reassuring verse 4 he says um, you dear children are from God and have overcome them that is these these false prophets who've gone out you've overcome them because the one who is in you namely the spirit of God is greater than the one who is in the world the, the spirit of the antichrist the evil one now so this is confronting because what it tells us is that we're necessarily caught up in a conflict, in, a, in opposition. This world opposes God. If we're from God, the world will oppose us. Uh, we saw that last week in 3 verse 13. John says, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Now, if you don't like conflict, and 
I mean, who does? If you don't like being different, well, this might be a challenge. It may be confronting. But if we're craving the acceptance of the world around us, well, we're well on the way to deciding with, with the wrong team. Which spirit are we embracing? The, the spirit that points us to Christ or the spirit of Antichrist? Because they're in opposition. Uh, notice there the, the circularity of, of the world. Verse 5 says, they, the, these prophets, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. There's this circularity. The world speaks what the world wants to hear. They've left the fellowship of, of, of God's people and they've gone out into the world. They're from the world and they speak what the world wants to hear. But in contrast, God speaks into that circular, self-affirming world. He speaks through, through John and through his apostles as, as they witness to his son Jesus. Verse 6 says, we, on the other hand, we are from God. We're not from the world like these false teachers. We're from God. We're the true teachers, he says. And whoever knows God listens to us but whoever is not from God does not listen to us if you're of the world you'll listen to the world if you're of God you'll listen to him he as he speaks his spirit enabled words uh, through his apostles which we now have in the Bible doing that listening to God will bring us into conflicts with the world but notice the immense comfort of these verses back up in verse 4 it says the one in, who is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than the one who is in the world. If we're listening to God as by His Spirit, He points us to Jesus as the Christ, then the Spirit of God is with us and He's greater than any false spirits in the world. Praise God, He's with us, He's in us. Now what does this all mean for us? Well, I actually have quite a bit to say by way of implication. So if you're kind of, you know, nodding off, maybe, you know, wriggle the toes, shrug the shoulders, get to um, settle in, because I, I do have a bit... I think there's some significant implications of this for us. And I want to tease out, well, what does it mean to be discerning? But firstly, what it means is that, that the heart of true spirituality, it comes down to how, do you, how you respond to Jesus. Uh, that may seem obvious, but it's, it's beautifully simple and profound. Do you, do I, confess that Jesus is the Christ, is the King who's come, has died and risen again? Do, do we exhibit that profound work of the Spirit of God such that we acknowledge and relate to Jesus as, as our Christ, as our King? Do we trust Him as our King, as Lord over our lives? If so then to use John's word, you dear children are from God. You've, you've been born of God. You have the spirit of God. So we need, first and foremost, we need to attend to, to our own confession of Jesus. And whether that's a, a new idea to you, whether it's something you've been sort of looking at for some time or whether it's something that you've committed to confessing Jesus as Lord for decades, we need to continue to acknowledge, to confess and trust Jesus as Lord and King in our hearts and in our lives. But we also therefore need to be discerning of others. Uh, 
beware of, of any so-called spiritual teaching that, that tries to drive a wedge between Jesus and his spirit. You know, as if, well, oh yeah, well, what Jesus did for us back then, that was one thing. But, you know, now we need to move on to, to this new thing that the spirit is doing now, today. No, no, no. The, the, the work of the spirit is, is not to point people to himself and his own new thing. It's always to point people to Jesus to enable them to, to see Jesus, to see him for who he is. That's the work of the Spirit. We need to be discerning. Uh, don't believe every so-called spiritual teacher, preacher, prophet. Test them to see whether they confess the true Jesus as Christ. Died for our sins, risen to new life. To give you some concrete examples um, of areas where this, we need to exercise uh, this sort of discernment, be discerning when it comes to Christian books. Uh, there, are, you know, there are many, many books written claiming to be Christian, but they actually teach a humanism or a triumphalism or mysticism and, and they actually get Jesus and his gospel and God and us wrong. Don't just follow the fads of the latest Christian book because it's popular. Being popular doesn't make it wrong, but neither does it make it right. If you want some help in discerning which books are good, which aren't, and there, there is a sea of Christian books, it can be difficult. Here's a, a concrete tip. Maybe it kind of short circuits the discerning part, but it's a concrete tip, and maybe I'll be criticised for this. Don't shop at Kurong Bookshop. Why, why do I say that? Well, because they don't exercise discernment in what they sell. They, they put it all out there, the good stuff and the trash as well, and they just leave it for you to be discerning. Now, maybe you can do that, but... As far as possible, I try not to support Kurong because of this lack of discernment in what they sell. I'd much rather look to, to other booksellers to buy books, like Reformers Bookshop or Wandering Bookseller, Matthias Media, or you know, this, I'm not getting any endorsements from any of those providers, but um, there are other good bookshops around. Choose to use them. They'll help you to be discerning and you'll be supporting someone who cares about not putting, promoting false spirituality. I think another area where discernment's needed is in, in the, the podcast, the online content, the YouTube um, preachers, whatever, that we, that we listen to. Just because a preacher's popular, because he's engaging, doesn't mean he's right. Exercise discernment in what you listen to. Check that what they're teaching aligns with what God has told us about Jesus in the Bible. Likewise, in the songs that we sing, discernment is needed. You might have noticed we don't sing Hillsong or Bethel songs at our church. At least I hope we don't. Um, and, and look, it's not because every single song they've written is heretical. I know some churches will, will sift through and pick, you know, certain songs where, where the words are okay. Um, we don't do that. We don't use any of their songs because I don't want to give tacit approval and financial support through royalties to an organisation that promotes a false gospel. Now, you might say, oh, hang on, John, that's a bit harsh. I mean, Hillsong confesses Jesus. You might know Jesus-loving Christians who are members of Hillsong. You may have been one yourself. You may be one today and just visiting us uh, for some reason. Uh, Hillsong may promote Jesus. They do promote Jesus. But which Jesus are they promoting? Jesus who saves. Well, yes. But saves us from what? Well, well saves us from sin. Well, yes. But what is the, the sinful state that Jesus saves us from? I mean, we, we might say, well, it's, it's being enslaved to our sinful desires in rebellion against God. 
such that we're facing the danger of, of his just condemnation and, and Jesus comes and saves us by dying for us in our place to take that condemnation upon himself and, and to bring us forgiveness. Whereas churches like Hillsong would, would likely give, give little, if any, airtime to that gospel, but instead, instead define the problem that Jesus saves us from is not the, the danger of facing the condemnation of God against us because of our sin. It's, no, it's the danger of, of not living the life that God wants you to live. Not enjoying the, the success and blessing and prosperity that God wants to bestow upon his children. And, and so the solution is to come to Jesus, to receive the, the victory, the life the, that he gives. And to live the spirit-filled life, then boldly embracing the the adventures that God has in store for you or something like that. Now, it's kind of half true, like all good lies. And and here's the thing, if you're already a Christian who understands the gospel, perhaps like your Jesus-loving friends who are members of Hillsong, if if you know the gospel, it's easy to sort of insert it back into the gaps and to and to, to hear it being said, even though it's not being said. So, Jesus saves, and you think, oh, he saves us from our sins, but that's actually not what's being said. The trouble is, for the poor person who doesn't have any background understanding to the gospel, they're left with a false gospel that doesn't address the problem of sin and judgment, that, that doesn't embrace the true Jesus as Christ, who died for their sin and rose again. And in the end, this false gospel can actually destroy the faith of people who have a genuine desire to follow God because when instead of encountering success and blessing and prosperity that's been promised, they, they encounter suffering and the hardship of living in this broken world and, and they give up because they're told that, well, you obviously didn't have enough faith. Worst case scenario, this kind of false teaching claims to be spiritual but actually denies people the real Jesus and leads them to hell. We need to be discerning. Discerning of of books, of podcasts, of songs, of teachers, of churches. But we need to be discerning about ourselves too, and our church, our preachers. You need to be discerning of what I'm saying. You know the whole thing, if you're going to point your finger, if you're going to point the finger at Hillsong and Bethel and refuse to sing their songs, as I think it's right to do, well there's there's three fingers pointing back at us. Where are our blind spots? Are we, are we exhibiting a, the Spirit of God in our, in our single-minded confession of Jesus as Christ as King? I hope so. Are we doing that such that we, we give ourselves wholeheartedly to living out His Lordship in all that we do, irrespective of how the world then treats us, such that we're not surprised if the world hates us? Or are we actually in danger of a kind of domesticated Christianity that embraces the culture of the world around us and seeks their acceptance over and above our singular allegiance to Christ. For example, are we in danger of embracing and exhibiting a worldly spirit of individualism such that we actually fail to keep the command to to love one another as, as you would have seen last week and as we'll see again next week? Or maybe is our confession of Jesus domesticated than one that says well you don't need to take him too seriously I mean you know just show your face at church when you have time and try to be a nice person and do we confess in word and deed that Jesus is the Christ where are our blind spots 
Where are we in danger of soft-peddling our confession of Jesus? The one who has defeated sin and death. The one who calls on us to repent. The one who will one day return to judge. Maybe we're in danger of compromise in the, the world's hot topics of sexuality and gender. Or maybe abortion and euthanasia. Do we feel the pressure to just kind of fall into line and go with the flow? Or maybe our, it's in our attitudes to, to wealth. It's our greed. Are we indistinguishable from the world around us? Is the Lordship of Jesus expressed in how we use our money? We live in this world and, and we engage with this world. And we, we must love the people of this world without loving the world. But there are many people who, as John says, are from this world and speak from the viewpoint of this world and the world listens to them. Let's make sure as we live in this world that we're not listening to the world and being shaped and directed by it, but instead that we're listening to God through his spirit-empowered testimony to Jesus in the apostolic scriptures. Doing that will bring us into conflicts with others. It will make us stand out at times as being an oddball. But we can do that knowing that by God's grace and his mercy, we are from God. We have his spirit in us, his spirit who is greater than the spirits at work in the world. So let's pray that, that by God's spirit, we confess Jesus with our actions, with our words in all of our lives, that we confess him as Lord, as, as Christ come in the flesh. Amen. We're going to pray, are we? And uh, I'm going to love you and leave you and, and uh, get back to Harrington Park. I need to, to let them know about a... Um